The year was 1938, and uh, in a special Halloween drama by Orson Welles, airing from New York, called War of the Worlds, they presented a radio drama that mostly was presented as news bulletins, suggesting to listeners that an actual invasion from Mars was taking place. Martians had landed. The invasion was in progress. It was made so realistic by the radio actors that many believed that the dramatized story was actually true. broadcast was so realistic that many listeners across the United States were gripped by panic and fear. Some attempted suicide. Some fled to remote areas of the country. The Navy canceled shore leave for the fleet that was docked in New York City. But it was all just fiction. Martians hadn't invaded, and it wasn't the end of life on Earth as we know it. But many people ask the question, how will life on earth end? And tonight we're going to be talking, looking again in the books of Daniel and Revelation, we're going to be looking at prophecies of how the world will end, how the, uh, the Bible teaches this will all come to a conclusion. And not only are we looking at how it will come to a conclusion, you might say, well, we've already seen in Daniel chapter 2 how it's going to come to an end, right? That image was struck by the stone. The stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. But we're going to be looking tonight at how soon this may happen. Now, we're not here to set any times or dates, but I believe that we're living in a time when, when many people are afraid. Would you agree with me? We're living in a time when there's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. We look at how the uh, diseases are spreading and how the, the, uh, the health crises are, that we're confronting around the country are multiplying. We're looking at all of these different things and we're wondering, could this be our end? Could it affect civilization, society in a dramatic way? We're looking at what is happening around us. We're seeing the natural disasters. And I believe that thinking men and women everywhere are considering the question, what's going on? What's happening in our world? Why are all these things happening at a rate and rapidity which we haven't seen before? And I think that's a good question for us to ask today, and we're going to turn to the book of Revelation tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11 we're going to begin with. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. This is describing... What I believe is the climax of Revelation's prophecy. That's our topic tonight, the climax of Revelation's prophecy. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, and it says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. Verse 13, and he was clothed, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 
Verse 15 continues, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. Verse 16, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. What does it say? King of kings and Lord of lords. What a picture. What a, what a symbol. And remember that Bible prophecy uses symbols to represent what's going to happen in the future, right? And so we understand that this is, this is, there are symbols here in this prophecy. We, we see many of them. The white horse, the armies, white linen, the sword coming out of the mouth of Jesus. By the way, what does, what do, elsewhere in the Bible, what does a sword represent? The Word of God, right? And I believe that we have a choice, friends. We either have a choice of the Word of God cutting our hearts and affecting us now, while there's still hope for it to transform our hearts, or we have the other choice of waiting until then. But the sword is going to come to our heart one way or the other. Here we find a picture of the second coming of Jesus coming on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. And he's, he's coming, he's, his, he's got written on him the word of God and he's king of kings and lord of lords. What a wonderful picture this is. At least I think John thought it was a wonderful picture and we're going to see evidence of that as we go on. You know, many people when they think about these prophecies of Revelation, they get really scared. Wouldn't you agree? When they think of Revelation, they think of beasts and dragons, they think of destruction and, and plagues and famines and pestilences and all these terrible things, but actually Revelation is good news. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. Look with me there. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. We have in our uh, very first introduction to the book of Revelation, we have a description of what is to follow, the book, what the book is about. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. What does it say? The revelation of who? The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not primarily a revelation of the beast and the dragon and the Antichrist. Revelation is primarily a, a, a revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's why I enjoy studying Revelation. I would be worried if, 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 if it was all about dragons and beasts and false prophets and these plagues and pestilences, I would be worried about anyone who liked to study Revelation, right? But it's actually not. It's about Jesus. It's a, a revelation of Jesus Christ, and he's telling us what's going to happen in the future. You see, the book of Revelation is very similar to the book of Daniel. It's an apocalyptic, in-time, prophetic book. It uses symbols. The Bible interprets the symbols itself. But in, unlike the book of Daniel, Daniel has the vision and then it has the interpretation of the vision. Revelation just has the, uh, the vision itself. However, the, the way it works is very similar. And let me just explain a little bit. We haven't gotten very deep into Daniel or Revelation yet. So let me just sort of give you a little bit of framework of how I understand the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. As I see the visions of Daniel, they're very distinct, okay? Um, partly because there's stories put between them, right? And we learned last night, those stories aren't just there for, for the kids to read. The stories are there to help us understand the book of Revelation. They actually are borrowed, the language is borrowed in many cases in the book of Revelation. But between those stories are visions, and the visions begin with the time of the prophet, and they tell you what's going to happen, what's going to happen, and when, when um, the, the timeline continues all the way down until the very end when God sets up his kingdom. Is that what we saw in Daniel chapter 2? Would you agree with me? 
There wasn't some big, big void where you said, well, I don't know what's going to happen here. No, we always know there's going to be, there's going to be Babylon. That's, that's the present day in Daniel's time. There's Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then divided empire, which is where we're living now, and then the stone. It's very simple, very simple. Now, what happens is prophecy continues to repeat. It goes back and it starts again. Lo and behold, it doesn't start where it left off with the stone. It starts back again at the prophet's time. Isn't that interesting? The second vision, Daniel chapter 7, we're going to get there. But Daniel chapter 7 begins again with the prophet's time, and it again goes through that same succession. And the reason it goes through the same succession is so that anybody studying Daniel at any time can be able to find, by comparing history and the prophecy, where they are in that prophetic stream and know what's still to come in the future. It also confirms our principles, the way we interpret the prophecy. If we can see our principles of interpretation match what actually happened in history, then we have greater confidence in looking to the future, right? And being confident that those future events not yet fulfilled are going to be fulfilled exactly as the past ones have been. And so prophecy begins with the time of the prophet. Each vision begins with the time of the prophet, and it goes on down to the very end of time. Now, the goal is not to tell us more about Babylon, not ancient Babylon, not King Nebuchadnezzar at least. The goal of end-time prophecy is to tell us more about the last days. Every time, you're going to see Daniel 7 tells us more about the last days than Daniel 2. Daniel 2 is pretty vague. Stone comes, destroys it, it's over, right? By the time you get to the Revelation, it's zooming and magnifying so much on last day events that there's all kinds of details that we wouldn't have imagined in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar could have had no idea about and so Daniel, Daniel has that pattern. We see it, and Revelation follows a similar pattern. Revelation doesn't have the stories between the visions, but what we find in Revelation, first of all, there are three sets of sevens, and we're going to be looking at some of these in future evenings. We have the seven churches, we have the seven seals, and we have the seven trumpets. And these sets of sevens are separate visions that, like the visions of Daniel, they are, they are uh, uninterrupted prophecies that go basically from the time of the prophet to the time of the end. And we, we can only understand that because we've learned that from the book of Daniel. You understand what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? Uh, we, uh, we get that from our study of the book of Daniel. And after the seven trumpets, we have these vignettes into the last days, the, uh, the seven seals and the seven trumpets. And at the end of the seven seals and the seven trumpets, guess what we see? In both the seven seals at the end and also the seven trumpets, we see a picture of the second coming. In Revelation chapter 6, we see the heavens departing as a scroll and islands and mountains being moved out of their places. Revelation chapter um, 9 I mean, Revelation chapter 14, the end of the seven uh, trumpets, towards the end of the seven trumpets, we find the uh, harvest picture of uh, him that sits on a cloud coming and reaping the second coming. Revelation chapter 19, we find the most probably glorious picture, and that's what we just read, the second coming of Jesus, coming on a white horse and coming with his armies. And by the way, if you continue reading that chapter in Revelation 19, you'll see that he's doing war and he's doing away with the very entities that have caused trouble for God's people. Do you know that God is going to come to deliver His people? He's going to come. He is going to cause an end to the uh, troubles and the trials and the, the difficulties that we face here on this earth. Now, Daniel chapter 2 described it in much more cryptic words, much more simple and short 
um, terms in Daniel 2 and verse 44 when he simply says, And in the days of these kings, that's divided Europe, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So one thing we already know, right? We already know that according to the Daniel 2 prophecy, the next event to take place in Daniel 2 is the setting up of God's kingdom. Can we agree on that? Is that pretty clear? Now, that doesn't tell us that it's going to be tomorrow or in a thousand years. It just tells us that the next thing to happen, right? That's what Daniel chapter 2 tells us. The toes aren't a different type of metal that we're living in now. No, it's the same. Ever since the legs of iron, the feet have been mixed iron and clay, and that's where we're living in. We studied that in great detail. I'm not going to go back to night one tonight. In Daniel chapter 7, we're going to look at this in a future evening, but Daniel chapter 7 describes it this way. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away. I'm sorry, my slides are jumping a little bit here. And so this kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, Daniel tells us, which is never going to be destroyed. It's an eternal kingdom. But the question is, how can we know if it is near? Right? That's the question we want to look at tonight. How can we know if it is near? These prophecies that we are, we are proposing as the great climax of Revelation, how can we know that we're living in the time when could it be, it could, could it even be possible that this could happen in our lifetime? Let's look and see what the Bible says. We're going to turn today to another prophecy of end-time significance, and that's found in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, the story is told of Jesus who is on his way out of the temple with his disciples one day, and he's, he's listening to them talking about this magnificent temple. Now, it wasn't as magnificent as Solomon's temple, we know that. Solomon's temple was the most glorious of the structures, but the temple that had been rebuilt during the during the return of, after the return of the exiles from Babylonian captivity, was a nice temple, and the, uh, the Roman rulers had sought to please the Jews and tried to placate them into being peaceful and, and uh, stop, to stop uh, insurrections by, by doing a lot of, uh, of, I guess you might say, decorating of the temple, adding gold and adding a lot of different embellishments. And so, without getting into those details... Uh, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple, and the, the disciples are commenting at the amazing structure that was the temple in Jerusalem. Do you know some of that structure still exists today? I mean, it's not still built. It's all rolled off the, off the temple mount. But some of those stones today, you can still see them. They're the size of school buses. They're massive stones. And the disciples are looking at this temple that was built so long ago and was, has, is such a beautiful temple. And, and when the sun would strike those golden domes, how they would gleam. And, and they're commenting on the glorious temple. And Jesus made a comment that said, you know, the time's going to come when not one of these stones is going to be left on top of another. And that just boggled their minds. Now, you have to understand something about the, about the disciples. The disciples loved prophecy. The disciples looked at Old Testament prophecies by the dozens. Now, they didn't really read them in context, and they may not have had the best principles of interpretation, because when they read the prophecies... 
they were convinced that the Messiah was going to come to rule on David's throne and to inhabit and fill the temple again with the glory of God. Isn't that what they believed? The disciples thought the Messiah was going to come and be the, the victor over the Romans to deliver them from, Babylon, from Roman captivity, from their, from their subservience to the Roman Empire. Jerusalem was going to be the center of the world. God Himself would dwell there in the Messiah. That's what they thought. Well, why did they think that? It's because in the Old Testament there are prophecies which talk about Jesus' first coming. You're familiar with many of them, I'm sure. Isaiah 53 is one of them, right? Come as a lamb to the slaughter. But do you think the disciples had read that and thought, that's the Messiah? No, they had read the, they had read the prophecies that talked about it, the enemies being destroyed and the king coming on a white horse, those type of prophecies. That what, that's what they read in the Old Testament. They said, the Messiah is coming. This is what happened. Listen to me carefully. Before, the, before Jesus' first advent... The disciples were studying, the Jews, his people, were studying the prophecies. But they made the mistake of applying the prophecies of his second coming to his first coming. That's why they were prepared to reject him when he came as the Messiah. The devil's pretty clever, isn't he? He's really pretty clever. And we don't have time to look in all of, all of the different ways that those prophecies were, were misunderstood. But I suspect that before Jesus comes the second time, the devil is going to try to get people confused about prophecy again so that they will not be prepared for his second advent. Wouldn't you agree with me? I mean, if it worked well the first time, wouldn't he do it the second time? And so that's why I think it's so important for us to study our Bibles and to see what the Bible teaches. We, we, we see here that the disciples were confused, and because of their misunderstanding of, of the Messiah's prophecies, the Messianic prophecies, they heard Jesus say, not one stone is going to be left on top of another one of these days. And they thought, well, the only time that could happen would be the end of the world, because we know it's not going to be before the Messiah comes. I mean, that's, that's going to be, we're, we're going to be restored to our glory, not, de, not destroyed. And so they come to Jesus privately afterwards in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. And they ask him, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You see, Jesus now is going to give them signs. Signs that would tell them before, uh, that would tell them when the end of Jerusalem was near and also when the end of the world was near. Actually, if, if you look at their question, what did they ask? In fact, I'm going to go back to that slide. If we look at that question, what were they asking? Did they think they were asking one question? Yeah, because they thought that the, the coming and the destruction of the temple would be at the same time, right? They thought the destruction of Jerusalem would be at the same time as Jesus' coming. When will these things be? The temple be destroyed. And what will be the sign of your coming? They thought they were asking one question, but in reality, Jesus knows because he understands the book of Daniel, he knows that they are asking two questions, right? And today we know that they were really asking two questions. When will these things be? The temple be destroyed. That happened in 70 AD. And what will be the signs of your coming? That hasn't happened yet. And so two questions, and Jesus actually gives answers. And 
I wish we had, I wish we had two hours to talk tonight. They say that I'm they say that I have only 50 minutes, and last night I took 55. So, so I've got to try to, to compress it here somehow. Um, Jesus com- combines, in the first, next few verses, he mingles a description of what would happen before, Jesus, before the destruction of Jerusalem and also happen before the, destruct- before the end of the world. Destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world. Both of these things would happen. Uh, both of these events would be preceded by these signs that are going to follow. The first set of signs were signs in the world of religion. Okay? We're going to be looking at those. The second set of signs were signs in the world of politics. The third set of signs are signs in the world of nature. And finally, we see The uh, fourth set of signs are signs in the world of society, the moral situation in society. So are you ready to get into these signs? All right, let's look at them carefully here. We're going to start here with the signs in the world of religion. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 5. And you're welcome to have your Bibles out and follow along with me as I, as I read them. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive how, how many? Many. He goes on in verse 24, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. And friends of mine, I'm I'm telling you, this is why I'm so glad to see so many Bibles open this evening. There's, There's one thing that really warms my heart. It's the sound of the pages of the Bible turning while I'm speaking. I love that sound. I love it because it tells me that there are people in Dalton, Georgia, who are wanting to study the Bible for themselves. What did Jesus say? There's going to be false prophets and false Christs, right? Not everyone's going to come along and say, well, I'm the Messiah. Many are not going to say, I'm the Messiah, but they're going to be false prophets, false teachings, right? They're going to be trying to interpret the prophecies wrong. They're going to be teaching false doctrines, and that we can see is predicted many times in the New Testament as well. Jesus says, there's going to be false Christs and false prophets. That now is the time for us to study the Bibles for ourselves. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine today. I was talking to him about some of the experience I had. I was privileged to have in uh, working in other parts of the world. And some of the most indelible memories in my, in my experiences sharing God's Word have been in the former Soviet Union. And uh, some of the times when, when we went to these cities where, you know, we would rent the largest hall in town, seating six or eight hundred or a thousand people, and um, it would be packed for two or three sessions. It would be, there, would, there would be people there lining up, wanting to hear the Word of God. And many of them, I remember one time we arrived in Siberia with a, with a team of, I, have, I had some students with me, and we arrived there, and we expected maybe four or five hundred people to come, and the, the, we, we had to, we had, I think, double that. And as we, we, we had prepared to give everyone a Bible, in those days, the, the Bibles weren't very common. And many of these people had wanted Bibles. Many of them were sort of, some sort of Christian, maybe Orthodox, or maybe just not practicing, but secretly they had some faith in God, or they wanted to know about God, but they didn't have Bibles. And as I was sharing with my friend today, the reason they didn't have Bibles because, was because in communism they weren't allowed to have Bibles. They weren't allowed to have religious materials. 
and we, we take so many things for granted, they would actually, they, they regulated the flow of paper like, like nations today regulate the flow of guns. That was, that's what communism did. They controlled. You couldn't just go to Office Depot and buy a ream of paper. They had to know who you were and what each sheet of that paper was going to be for. And they would give you the paper that you needed. And by the way, you couldn't buy a typewriter. You had to have a special license, a permit to buy a typewriter. And they were registered. And you were monitored. And they would, they would, they would uh, make sure that what was being typed and sent out and posted and shared wasn't, you know, going to start political problems, headaches for leadership. Everything was tightly regulated. And, you know, I, I met people in those days who had, who had somehow smuggled paper from Moscow. I don't know how they got it, but they'd gotten it into the far country, corners of the country. And they had actually found a way to get a typewriter. I suppose they had to, you know, had to make somebody's day or something. But they found a way to get a typewriter. And, and they would tell me the stories. In those days, these people were still alive. They would tell me the stories of how they would go into their apartment flat, their apartment complexes, and they would put layer after layer of blankets down on the floor because they had lots of blankets. I mean, the heat wasn't very reliable. And it's cold in Siberia and northern Russia. And they would put all these layers of blankets down on the floor, and then they'd put a table on top of them, and then they would put more layers over the table. And underneath the table... Underneath the table, they would put the typewriter, and there they would be, they would be typing a copy of the Bible or a copy of a religious book, and they would put five or six sheets of paper with carbon copies between them. Do you know how hard you have to push a manual typewriter to get through five or six carbon copies and still be legible, readable on the last copy? And these people would come to me with these gnarled fingers. They had copied books for 20 years, 30 years. They'd gone blind. And if they had been caught, it would have maybe been the last time their family ever saw them. No one would know what had happened to them. My library at home, I have several of those books they gave me. To me, they're more valuable than any of the rare books that I could ever find. Because of the faith those people had to copy the Word of God. There was a hungering and a thirsting. And when we would arrive, they would tell us these stories. I had a pastor tell me how, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just the paper that was regulated. They regulated gas, too. You know, all the government vehicles used diesel. All the private vehicles used gasoline. And so... They could just shut off your gas supply, and they measured how much gas you had, and they knew where you needed to go, and you didn't need to more buy more gas than they said you needed. And uh, by the way, in every intersection in the cities, you had a, a ladder that went up the light pole, and instead of just a light arm over here where you have the stoplights, you, you had a little box with a policeman standing in it with a piece of paper. And he took notes of which license plates were going through the intersection. They knew where you went. If you had a car, which wasn't that, uh, that common, if you had a car, they knew where you were going and what you were doing. And you didn't need to... And, and these pastors would tell me how they would, they would siphon a little bit of gas, a cup full of gas at a time out of their tank 
and, and save it on the side so that the authorities would never know. And when they had enough, maybe they had three or four gallons off on the side, one night they would put the gas into the car and they would drive by night 20 or 30 miles to go visit a church member, a believer. And they'd come back. This was risky stuff. They'd come back and park and they'd spend the rest of their night They'd unhook the speedometer cable from the transmission and by hand they would wind it backwards so that the odometer wouldn't register the extra they had traveled to visit their church members. These people came to our meetings and they would look at the Bible, they would look at the Word of God, and when they got their own copy, they would cry and hug it to their chest. And here we are, 2014, we have 10 Bibles in our houses. But what we do, we do with it. Do we value the Word of God? Oh, friends, I think we're living in a time of Earth's history when we need to be dusting off our Bibles and spending time in this book. Because this is the only book that's going to keep us safe. You can't trust me. You can't trust on the, what's on the radio. You've got to study, and the Holy Spirit has promised to lead us all into truth. But we've got to do our part. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us by just having us have these impressions while we're watching television. I'm sorry. But He uses the Word. He uses the Word to teach us. So we need to be studying God's Word. I'm sorry if I got a little off the topic here, but, but it's time to be studying our, for ourselves. Jesus said, our Savior said that the devil would deceive, if possible, these false Christs and false prophets would deceive, if possible, even the very elect. And so we see, in, even in our contemporary times, we see people who arise as false prophets, false teachers, teaching sometimes that they are even, uh, they are even reincarnation of God, or in some way, God now here on earth. In fact, there's a video that I want to show you that gives you a little bit of a, an insight into one of the modern-day false Christs, I believe, individuals who claim to be a Christ. We might think that that's rather extreme, but the fact is there are people today, not just false prophets and false teachers, there are people today who are claiming to be Jesus himself. One more video clip very quickly.
speaking Russian, by the way. I'm not sure exactly what he said there, actually, but um, it may have been a yes. Um, you know, the fact is, it's, for, for me, it's a little difficult to imagine why people will follow these Christ, but they do. They do. And more importantly, friends, if we're not following the Word of God, we're going to follow false teachers who may not look so uh, obviously as a deception, a reincarnation, or whatever they want to call themselves, of Jesus. And so, as we see these things happening around us, I believe we're living in a time, I believe we're living in a time when men and women are becoming less and less grounded in God's Word, and there are more and more people that are looking to take advantage of us if we're not grounded in the truths of God, in the truths of God's Word. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Do you think we might be living in a time which fulfills these words of Jesus? Are we hearing of wars and rumors of wars? I mean, it's not just rumors, it's wars, isn't it? There's fighting and bloodshed on all on almost all of the continents, there's, dis, there's distress and there's strife going on. I believe we're living in a time which fulfills these words of Jesus. The Bible says, for nation will rise against nation, verse 7, and kingdom against kingdom. This is a picture taken from Kobani in Syria, just across the border from Turkey, just a couple days ago. And that's, that, that town has become a focal point of the war against ISIS. A question is raised, what happens if ISIS takes over? What happens if they come here to America? What happens if they take over vast parts of the world like they think they're going to? I remember I was on a plane a number of years ago, and ironically, I was on a mission trip, and um, I was going to, uh, to speak God's Word, and um, I was heading from, I think I was on a flight from San Francisco to Hong Kong. And on this flight, across the aisle from me was a Muslim gentleman. Now I would probably recognize him as a radical Muslim gentleman. At that time, we didn't know that much about different types of Muslims. I mean, I didn't at least. I wasn't that up to speed. And um, as, I, as I talked with him, he, I said, I'm a Christian. And he said, well, I'm a Muslim. And he said, and you ought to be a Muslim. Now I was a little taken aback by that because, I mean, here... Aren't, I think I'm supposed to be witnessing to you, but he's trying to convert me, you know. And he said, he said, let me tell you something very clear. Islam will take over the whole world. 
you might as well join now. It will happen. And he began rattling off all the reasons why he believed that. He was so certain. I, I went away from that, that conversation, uh, well, scratching my head a little bit, but, but at the same time wondering, why am I not more certain and assertive in sharing God's word with others? When, do, do I really believe? Do I really believe what God's word says is going to happen? Is going to happen? If we really believe it, if I really believe it, I think I ought to be more emphatic or, I mean, kind, but, but if I know something that can help somebody else, shouldn't I be telling them? Amen. Yeah. And so we see these wars and rumors of wars, and there's a lot of uncertainty. And I'm here to tell you, friends, that Islam isn't going to rule the world. They're not going to take over the nations. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, just like Jesus said. But there's only one kingdom that's going to take over the world. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He's not recognized by Islam as such. And he is going to set up an eternal kingdom. In the 20th century, 180 million deaths from war alone. More people died in war in the 1900s than had died in all the wars of the previous centuries combined. That's an acceleration of violence and bloodshed. That's a fulfillment, I believe, of Jesus' prophecy. Jesus said there would be war. We continue on in Matthew 24 and verse 7. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now, these are really three different things, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. But we notice, we notice, friends, that these two are seeing rapid fulfillment all around us. We see that there's food shortages in many parts of the world. There are famines, just like Jesus said. I'm sure you've seen these images before. It's not news to you. And unfortunately, if you, if you have opportunity to travel overseas into some of these parts of the world, it just breaks your heart when you see these children that don't have food. When you see these children in Africa that don't have anything to eat and all they want, they, they want a little money from you. They want a little money from you. But you know what? They won't even go buy food with that money. You, you know it because that's what they, they never do that. They'll go and buy some glue. They go and buy glue with the money you give them because they're addicted. They sniff the glue and get high and they don't feel their hunger pains anymore. And the glue goes farther than food would to make them feel better. That's the reality of millions of children in this world. When I was in India one time building a church, we were working in the hot heat, and so we had bottled water. We couldn't drink the water in the village, so we had bottled water, these big two-liter water bottles. Do you know there was a crowd of people gathered around the water site, the building site, and as we got near the bottom of the water bottle that we were drinking, they would press closer and closer and closer. And once we finished our water bottle, now these were just regular disposable water bottles like you have on your table, except bigger. We would throw it away, and there would be a huge fight to see who would get the water bottle. 1.2 billion people on earth have never had a drink 
of clean, purified water. Never. 1.2 billion. That's the world we live in. We don't, we don't live in it here, but that's the world that we're a part of. 10,000 people a day, three and a half million a year die of starvation. Many, many more are malnourished. And this, friends, I believe again, as population explodes, as farmland decreases, as, as cities expand, we are going to see more and more of this. Do you think Jesus' words are true, that there would be famines? You think we might be seeing those fulfilled? I believe we are. I really believe that we're living in this time that Jesus said would precede His coming. A pestilence. Pestilence isn't a word we use too often today, but a pestilence is a strange disease which afflicts either human beings, crops, or the environment. And are we seeing that today? Are we seeing that? You know, for, for at least 10 years, I've listed Ebola as one of the pestilences in my messages when I talk about this prophecy. I've listed AIDS, and I've listed, I've listed all the different STDs, and I've listed Ebola. And Ebola is just one of those things that crops up in Africa every once in a while, and it doesn't really affect us. But these days, we're getting pretty familiar with seeing these pictures, aren't we? We're, we're, we're knowing a lot more about Ebola today because it's not just something in Africa. It's something that's affecting us. It's coming close to home. We're seeing these pictures in the news, and we're hearing the stories, and they say, they say over 10,000 people have been infected, but we don't even know. There's no way of knowing in these countries. There's no way of knowing who was dying of Ebola and who was just dying of other, of other causes. Not only is it affecting Africa, but it's come all the way here to Georgia. Here we have the uh, Grady... Uh, hospital of a- ambulance unloading an Ebola patient coming from, from Africa. And by the way, I can't help but tell you about this. This is something of great interest to me. You know that I'm a pilot. Uh, Dr. White told you last night. I, love, I would love to be able to fly a Gulfstream jet, but this is one plane, one business jet you never want to have a ride on. You'll never want to ride on this jet because, friends, this jet is actually a flying ambulance, one of only a few. There's only like three Gulf Streams in the world that have a cargo door. And the, the patients that have been brought from Africa to the United States to be treated have come in this jet. And it's cost about $200,000 per patient. Um, and guess what? It's, it's owned by Phoenix Air. Where do you think Phoenix Air is based? Yeah, you'd think so, but... Phoenix Air is based, this plane stays overnight in Cartersville, Georgia. This is the private um, charter company that owns this jet. It's one of the only in the world. There's another one in South Africa. They offered to bring the uh, patient from Africa only to Europe for $1.4 million. It's a Boeing 737 that's equipped to handle this type of patient. Are we seeing pestilences today? I believe we are. The Bible talks about other natural disasters taking place. And um, one of those natural disasters is hurricanes. We're seeing hurricanes. We're seeing these types of storms over and over again. We look at the news and we see the hurricanes. We see the destruction. Hurricane Katrina was the costliest hurricane, the costliest storm in history, $75 billion in, in damage. We're seeing earthquakes. Some people say, well, no, we're just, we're just hearing the more on the news. No, there, are in, there, are, uh, there is an increased rapidity and frequency 
of earthquakes in our world today. We're seeing the tsunamis that these earthquakes cause. And, and you know, some people are going to say, but there's always been wars, there's always been earthquakes, there's always been, you know, tornadoes or hurricanes. And that's true, friends. The point is we're seeing them accelerating at a pace that has not been seen before. That's the point. The point is that these are, not that this is the first time these are going to happen, but we're going to see them more and more and more. And so we'll have an understanding that Jesus is coming soon. By the way, they can only happen so frequently or so often before they just destroy the whole world, right? So if we continue on this, on this curve of frequency and, and more and more often, more and more costly and deadly, the world can't last very long. In fact, I was on the plane one time next to a Russian cosmologist who was coming back from Germany, going to Moscow, and, and he told me, this was 19, probably 1998 or something like that. He told me then, he didn't speak English, I don't speak much Russian, but we were writing, and he was telling me about his conference and showed me some of his papers and pointing to the English translations and so forth. This conference, he had been, he'd presented a paper where he was arguing that the world was not going to last more than 30 years. Just because of entropy, just because of the, the decay in the world around him. I, I mean, this was an atheist guy, and I'm thinking, 30 years, that's not much time, you know? I'm not going to be very old. If, if, if the way things are heading, it continues heading, something has to change. Something has to change. You're not listening to me anyway, are you? <laughs> oh, I knew I was going to be in trouble for putting that video up there. The way things are happening, something has to change. Jesus has to come, friends. The world cannot continue the way it's going. Now, I'm not here to tell you Jesus is coming. Listen, I think there's other reasons. I think, I think the Bible, Revelation says that, that God is holding and it'll hold until he's ready, okay? I'm not here to preach doom and gloom, and what I'm saying is we're living in the times the prophecies were talking about, and that's exciting. That's exciting. That's the time in which we're living in. I'm so happy. We don't have to go to Japan to see the natural disasters and destruction. How about Oklahoma City? How about right here in Catoosa County? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There was to be signs in the world of morals in society. And what were those morals like in Noah's day? What was it like? Matthew 24 and verse 38, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I believe that once again, this prophecy is seeing its fulfillment. I don't know how bad it's going to get, but I can say it's getting pretty bad. The morals of society, the underpinning, the foundation of our society is falling apart. I don't know if you're seeing it like I'm seeing it, but that's what I'm sensing. We don't have a foundation for the society we're living in anymore. We don't have a sense of morality and ethics anymore. The Bible says, as in the days of Noah, they'd be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriages, parting, having a good time, thinking there'd be no consequences, no judgment, and, and they would be caught by surprise. You see, my friends, we're living in a time when, once again, our society is falling apart. I believe not because I'm an expert on these things. I just think as I talk to people, ordinary people in Dalton, Georgia, they see this too. 
They see that, that somehow things aren't the way they used to be. There's not a sense of right and wrong. There's not a, a moral fabric that is the foundation of the, of the life that we live. And so we see society just falling apart. We don't have anything to anchor us anymore. We're too busy for God. We're too busy to study our Bibles. We're too busy doing all of the things that we have to do. And friends, it's time for us to make priorities. I know I'm preaching to the choir here tonight because you're here. <laughs> you're making time. It's not easy. It's not easy to take an evening out of your busy week, much less three or four evenings a week. You took three evenings this week. And that's the type of priority, I think, that we need to have. To be spending time studying God's Word and understanding the days we're living in, the world that we're living in. We're living in a time when society has taken marriage and made it an economic and political tool. Something to be entered for convenience or on a whim and exited likewise. Are you sensing with me that the days of Noah are here? Like it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The Bible says in Luke chapter 26 and verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars on the earth, distress, what does it say, on the earth what? Distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring. Notice what it says, next verse. Men's heart failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the earth will be shaken. That's what's going to happen. And it may even be what's happening right now. But notice, I love this passage because this tells us what God's people's response should be. This tells us, verse 27, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, Now when these things begin to happen, could you agree with me that these things have begun to happen? I think so. When these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Oh, I love that promise, friends. This is not the time for us to get discouraged. This isn't the time. Revelation isn't telling us to be scared or to be worried. Revelation is telling us to be excited. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The end is near. We have good news, friends. The world's going to come to an end. That's good news. It's not bad news. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to fear. In fact, the Bible, Jesus here himself tells us, when these things begin to happen... Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. What a wonderful message Revelation's climax brings us. It's not a message of doom and gloom. It's a message of hope, a message of redemption, a message of salvation, a message of restoration. Oh, friends, this is the good news that I believe that we need to uncover and unpack and study more carefully. You know, last two nights we talked about the fools who fight the future. 
We talked about the, the emperors and the dictators and the generals who attempted to weld uh, Europe back together again, and they could not overturn the seven simple words of Daniel's prophecy, right? Last night we talked about Nebuchadnezzar fighting the future. He thought if he didn't like the truth, he could change it. He could make that golden image and, and let the story be changed in everyone's mind. But he, neither, neither could he fight the future because the truth is the truth and God is unchanging. Listen, we don't have to agree with it. We don't have to like it. But the truth is, is what's going to happen. We can't change it. And sometimes when I think of the truth of Jesus coming, I think, Chester, don't try to fight the future, too. Accept the good news. Accept the great hope. Don't try to keep getting the things of this world, but try to get closer to Jesus. Accept the truth into your life and let it change you so that you can be ready when Jesus comes the second time. Oh, I want to be in that group that's looking up and lifting up their heads. I'm a Christian today. I'm not a Christian today. Let me put it this way. I'm not a Christian today because I'm afraid the world is ending and Jesus is coming soon. I'm a Christian because I love Jesus. And I'm excited to see the world ending and Him coming soon. You know, I'm fairly newlywed. All my travels, I didn't get married till I was, well, I won't say how old I am, but anyway. Three years ago, three and a half years ago, I, met, I married my lovely bride. And you know, there's not many times since then that we've had to be apart for very long. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Maryland, she was in California, and we had several days where we were... I don't know why. We could still talk on the phone just like we do when we're both in Dalton, but it just didn't feel the same. We missed each other. We looked forward to seeing each other. Friends, I think that that's the kind of anticipation we should have for the reunion we have when we see Jesus again. We ought to miss Him so much. We ought to long for that day. The good news of Jesus soon return. The last few verses of Revelation, the verse isn't there on the screen, but I believe it's about verse, what is that, verse 22 or so. Uh, Revelation chapter 22 says, this is the very last book of the Bible, the very last verse of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. And what was John the Revelator's response? What was his response? It's right there on the slide. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Is Revelation a scary book? It wasn't scary to John. John read the whole thing. He wrote the whole thing. And when he came to the end, he said, bring it on. It's good news. Is that how you, is that how you love your Jesus? Let's pray. Father in heaven, tonight, we just thank you. We just thank you that there's good news. The world's going to end. And there's a better world coming. We thank you that we're going to be reunited with our Savior. Lord, let him be the love of our lives. Let him be the one that we long to see to be reunited with. And someday, very soon, Lord, may that be our reality and experience. May each one here under the sound of my voice 
be excited and ready for that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.